Where are you from? Who are your people? What's your story? Over the last four months, I've been able to spend some time learning um, who you are and what's your story and where you're from. It's been a rich time um, because there's so many testimonies of God's grace um, in the life of this church. In the last week, I've spent quite a bit of time around our street as we've been doing work on our house and moving in. You know, when you're a new person to the neighborhood, you begin to, to learn who neighbors are. And so I've met uh, Libby across the street, brought flowers, sweet lady and her family, um, Cindy uh, to our left and Don and Don to our right and Jim and EG. And it's just been a neat time to learn more about my neighbors and their stories as well as some interesting uh, things about our street and our home and the people who <laughs> have lived there. And so it's been a rich week. Uh, week, it's been a rich semester to learn stories, uh, to learn more about you as a people, uh, to learn where you're from, who you are, and what's your story. Well, Christmas is the story of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. It's where he's from, who his people are, and what his story is. The story of Jesus's people. But interestingly, his story is a little bit different because his story um, is from eternity past. His story, as we see it beginning for us in Scripture, comes to us in Genesis chapter 3. We see this beautiful glimpse of this picture right after the fall and rebellion of man that corrupted the world. And we see just this sliver of hope, this little picture of, of, a, of a redeemer, of a deliverer, as we sang, that who would come into the world and be the hope of the world and crush Satan's head. This is a story of Jesus. And so this is what we've been looking at. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the seed of the woman, which is a reference to the virgin birth. And we also saw that eventually um, that virgin-born son, that child, that singular he in Genesis chapter 3 would crush the serpent, who is Satan, will crush his head. And then we saw in Isaiah 9 a, a little bit clearer and explicit prophecy or prediction of the Messiah to come. And that prediction and that picture got clearer for us. For to us a son is given, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and of his, his increase there will be no end, that he will be king. And so this is what we've been looking at, an Old Testament Christmas, if you will, and we come to the Newer Testament today, and really the, the place that we're going to come to in the beginning of the New Testament really crystallizes this picture from beginning, from Genesis 3 through Isaiah 7 and 9 and all the different prophecies of the Old Testament coming to a head in Matthew chapter 1 as well as you can see in Luke chapter 3. And so if you've got a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 1 and we're going to see Jesus' family tree. We're going to see his family tree, where he's from, uh, who his people are, and what's his story from his past. And you're thinking like right now as you turn to Matthew 1, if you know Matthew 1 or Luke 3, you're thinking, we're going to do a genealogy on Christmas Sunday, really? <laughs> That's going to be fun. Genealogy on Christmas Sunday. I know it sounds the way it sounds, but there's so much good stuff in here as it relates to understanding who your Savior is and who your king is, and who your deliverer is, and how Jesus came into the world. Because here's what the gene a genealogy did in, in olden days. See, we have Ancestry.com, and we can look up our family history. 
You can get pricked um, with a needle and find out all the different flavors of where you come from. There's some politicians that might need to be careful with that in, in some of this time. But genealogies in ancient days were really, really important. They lent credibility to your family line. They clarified your family line, and they told the backstory of your family. Those are really important things to solidify in the, in the Old and the New Testament. And so when you come to Matthew, who is written toward Jews, this is really important as you see Jesus' family line. And what Matthew is effectively doing is he's pointing a neon light to the, to the people of Israel. He's speaking to the Jews, and there's this neon bright light saying, this is the one you crucified. This is your Messiah. Remember, Matthew was written in about 50 AD or so, so they're looking even then back on who Jesus was. And Matthew's point is that this is your Messiah. And so turn with me to Matthew 1 with all of that in the background. Matthew does this. He starts with Abraham and he moves forward to Jesus. When you come to the genealogy of Luke, which put your finger on that or highlight that if you have an iPad or whatever you have. Um, but what Luke does is he flips it. So you have Matthew who starts with Abraham and he moves forward. And what Luke does is he starts with Jesus' family and then the nativity and moves back all the way to Adam to see the seed of the woman in this passage. And so you're gonna see, I think there's four things that you're gonna see about this family tree that Jesus has that reveals about him. And you're gonna see some interesting family backgrounds. Anybody got interesting family background? You're gonna see some family secrets. You, uh, anybody have some secrets in their family? See, this is not just, here's a point. This is not just Jesus' story. This morning, what I want you to see in the family tree of Jesus is that you, this is your story as well. This is my story as well as a family. And I'm gonna point that out as we walk through this. And so let me read Matthew 1. Give me a few minutes to read this. I'm not gonna read Luke 3, okay? I'm not gonna read Luke 3. I'm gonna reference it, but I wanna read this text. Matthew writing to Jews about Jesus. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is his line. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, and Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, don't fall asleep. Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon. I worked on these words. Salmon, the father of Boaz, and Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. They added that, right? The king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, remember her? And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Remember all these stories as I'm reading. Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and on and on, right? And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Verse 12, <coughs> excuse me. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jehoiakim, and the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, remember him? Zerubbabel, the father of Ibed, and Ibed, the father of Elikim, and Elikim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of 
Achim, and Achim, the father of Elihud, and on and on and on, the father of, the father of Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of, here we are, Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And so you see his symmetry. This genealogy is not exhausted, but it certainly is comprehensive, is it not? Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." And here it is, verse 21, for she will bear a son. Heard that language before? Genesis 3, Isaiah 9, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. Christmas is more than just the virgin birth. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took a wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. There's really four things here in this family tree. The first thing I want to tell you, just observations about the text. I'm not going to parse this out. And he begat, King James, right? He begat and he begat. Jesus really is our creator. Jesus really is divine. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, hone in on verse 16 for just a minute. And it says this, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom, underline the word whom, Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. Do you see how distinctly different when we get to, and he was the father of, and he was the father of, do you see this distinct change? It's a completely different change. If you have your thumb there in Matthew, or in Luke chapter 3, verse 12, Verse 23, it says this, if you're looking at it, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, what's in parentheses? As was supposed. Do you see that Matthew and Luke are being very, very careful to say that Joseph was not the blood father of Jesus, that the virgin birth was protective. The word whom is a singular pronoun and it points to Mary, not Joseph. That's a huge point. Underline it in your text. See, Jesus' legal claim came through Joseph's line, but he was not his offspring. That's the point. Um, This is what you see. The author is being very careful here to show that Mary, there was a virgin birth through Mary, just as Genesis 3 would say and Isaiah 9 would say that the seed of woman, a son is given. He's not born. See, the Bible is really clear about Jesus being the creator. In John chapter 1, this is what you see. You see that all things were actually made through him and by him and for him. This is what sticks out in this text. If you're just reading the genealogy and you actually take the time to read all the way through it, there's a distinct contrast and shift in the way that both Luke and Matthew talk about the birth of Jesus. It's unique. It's unusual. It's mysterious. It's meant to point you towards something different that really he is divine. Let me ask you this 
just by way of application as you think about Jesus and his divinity and you think about humanity and the trust that we often have with one another and and the trust that we place in humanity oftentimes. If your only hope is in humanity, how's that working out for you? I mean, think about it in your own life even. Your, your trust and your expectations for all those people around you, every person around you at some point or another, your spouse, your kids, your employer, your employees, the people in your church, they're letting you down at some point or another, the expectations that you have because they're fallen human beings. There's this country song, sorry. There's this country song by Luke Bryan. And Luke Bryant says these words. He says, I believe, I believe that kids should be kids for as long as they can. I believe they should get off their devices and play in the sand, kids. Sorry about that. He says these words. I believe that we should forgive and make amends. I believe that we should work hard whether we have a lot or a little. I think that's a paraphrase. There was some rhyme in there and I missed it. I believe most mothers qualify for sainthood. Amen, moms? I believe on Friday nights we should spend that time under the lights. Friday night football. And then I'm down with that. I'm down with all those things that he just said. And then I begin to question some things. He said, I believe that the world's not as bad as it looks. And the truth is, when we turn on the news, it's meant to look worse than it actually is. That's what we see when we turn on the news, so I'm kind of with him on that, and yet the world is way worse off. If you pull back the spiritual curtains of the world, according to the scripture, the world is way worse than we think it is, and here's where I diverge. Here's where the two paths diverge for me. I love the song and these lyrics, but then he says, the the streets of gold are worth the work, are worth the work. The streets of gold, heaven, is worth the work, and the punchline is, I believe that most people are good. There's a lot of trust in humanity that Luke Bryant is putting in, the, in, in us as, as humanity. And as much as the outcome of kids should be kids and we should make amends, how do you get there? And this is where I think he's wrong. I think we get there because God is good, because God is great. And through Christ, these things can happen. But his trust in this song that's sung and I don't know where it hit on the, on the charts, but this is what the world says. We're essentially good. But the only way in which a mom can be a saint and love her child and a dad can love her child in that way is through the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? The, the only way in which we work hard and earn a living that's honorable to God is through God's work in us. And the truth is that the world is as bad off as it could ever be. You and I are as bad off without Christ as we ever could be. He is good. The good news of the gospel changes all of that, but he really is our creator. He really is divine. When God said it this way, Christmas assures us that we have been visited by God, that he's really engaged in our lives. So let me ask you, as it relates to the Luke Bryan song, is that what you believe? Do you believe that the the streets of gold are worth the work. Listen, the streets of gold aren't worked for. The way in which you know God is through his son Jesus and you acknowledge the very opposite. You acknowledge the very opposite 
That always throws me. You acknowledge that you're not good, that you need Christ, because he is divine. He is our creator. See, let me give you another observation about this family tree, though. So he really is our creator. This is sounding familiar from maybe even last week. He really is our brother as well. I think this, these genealogies show that he really is our brother. Look at all the human beings in this genealogy. They're all human. There's a family tree that includes both Jews and Gentiles. That would have been very odd for, for a Jew and Matthew to be reading this genealogy and go, wasn't that a Canaanite woman? Wasn't that a Moabite? Gentiles are, are in this. It includes both Jews and Gentiles, men and women, everyday people, noble people, lowly people, people you wouldn't even hang out with. Jesus' family tree looks like that, looks a lot like your family tree. You know, the scriptures in the book of Hebrews say it this way. Hebrews chapter 2. He really is our brother. I think we have the text here. Speaking of his divinity in verse 10, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, that's his divinity, and bringing, bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, this is verse 17, in every respect, so he calls us brothers, that Jesus is not only divine, but he's also our brother in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That text speaks both of the divinity of Jesus and the that he's creator, but he's also our brother. That makes all the difference in the world. Do you know what a high priest did in the Old Testament? Jesus is the final high priest. We hear that language. We know that language from Scripture. Think about what a high priest does. In the Old Testament, a high priest would basically make sacrifice for the sins of the people. He was a representative of the people. Jesus is your final representative. He's one of you. This is what the Scripture is teaching, that he not only is our creator, but he's also our brother. And he's not a God that is far off, but he's come near, and he's in he had to engage in suffering just like you have to engage in suffering and yet to the cross. So he's been made like us in all ways. This is what the scripture says in Hebrews. So he really is our brother. He's our high priest. He's the one who represents us. He went to, a, to the cross as your brother and dying on a cross as divine. There's something else here that's really interesting. When you think about Jesus right now, Sometimes when we think about Jesus right now, we just think, okay, he's in heaven, and he's, now he's just divine. The Bible actually says something different. The Bible says that he still takes his earthly form. The nail-scarred hands are still there. So I want you to take a swig of your coffee for just a minute and think about that. The eternal Son of God became a man, became flesh, dwelt among us, and he was resurrected in a resurrected human body. And forever he will be in that. That's why he can still make intercession, the Bible says, for you. He can still be your brother. If you're wandering around the Christmas table, if you have other Christian friends, I'm going to give you a theological word to impress your friends and neighbors. That's called the hypostatic union. I didn't win a bet to see if I could get that into my sermon or take a bet on that. 
But that's a beautiful thing, that he always will be your brother. He's divine, he's distinctly different, but he will always be your brother. He will always be close. Jesus is saying, I'm going to identify with them. Come into regular circumstances. I'm not gonna be born in a royal palace, but I'm gonna be born to regular people, shepherds. Shepherds were the lowliest of low people. And the angel came to the shepherd and said, go, see the son who's been born. A manger, a horse stall. This is where our savior was born. Luther said it this way, if Christ came in splendid affair, it wouldn't comfort me at all. That's Luther. I couldn't relate. But you can relate to your brother, Jesus. You remember that song in the 90s, some of you weren't born? Remember that song, it's kind of one hit wonder uh, by Joan Osborne? What if God was one of us? Anybody remember that song? Old school, I actually could listen to some of this music by the 90s. Um, but, but, but I want you to think about that song. If you know that song, she asked some really good questions about God. She's asking questions about God and she asked a number of them. What if God was one of us? What if God had a name, what would it be? If God had a face, what would it look like? A lot of good questions. She's imagining what a divine being would look like if they were human. You know, if Joan were here, if maybe you're asking those questions today, I would say this to her, and I would say this to you. God became one of us, and his name is Jesus, and you can call him by his name. He is great, he is good, and if you consider him, you would delight to believe in things like, and this is, these are the lines of, of, the, of the song, things like heaven and Jesus and the saints and the prophets because Jesus fulfilled all those things. That's who Jesus is. And he grants you his phone and he grants you access to his throne, not just the Pope in Rome. Some of you are looking at me like I've never heard that song before, I'm sorry. Some of you have. Go listen to it. It's interesting. It'll bug you, but it's interesting. That's Jesus. He is eternally one of us. He is your brother. He's your brother. He's your creator. He's your brother. Wherever you are this Christmas, whether you're joyful or sorrowful, he can relate. That's what this text is teaching you. He can relate. He's your high priest. He represents you. He remembers you. He relates to you. He loves you. He gives you access to him. This is who your God is. This is who Jesus is. He really is both our creator and our brother, but there's something else even. He really is our king. This is what we talked about a lot last week from Isaiah 9. You're meant to pick up this in this text. Matthew focuses on this because he's speaking to the Jews. I want you to just glance at Matthew 1. Count up the number of times, kids, count up the number of times you see the name David. Look at where he starts. He's speaking to Jews. He's trying to prove to them that Jesus is Messiah. Last week we learned that the son of David would sit, 2 Samuel 7, would sit on the throne of David forevermore. Look at where Matthew starts with a Jewish audience. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, what? First thing he says, the son of David. That's the promised Messiah. It's not just Solomon. There was a future fulfillment. It's Jesus. 
the son of David, the son of Abraham. Come down to verse 6. Do you see how distinctly he mentions David? David the king. Twice. And David the father of Solomon. Come down all the way to verse 17. When he's wrapping it up. When he's summarizing all the generations from Abraham to David. He wants the Jews to see that Jesus is from the line of David. And you see it as well a little bit in Luke. He really is our king. This is the neon sign that Matthew is painting for his audience to show that Jesus is Messiah. It's central. See, Matthew gives a legal claim through Joseph. See, he is our king. You know what else? Lastly, and this is the most important thing. He's really our savior. Jesus is really our savior. All kinds of people are represented are represented in this, these genealogies. I want you to just think about the stories from the Old Testament. There are a number of different things we could do. Um, when I just look and glance at this list, I think about a guy like Abraham. There were times where Abraham was called out of Ur the Chaldees. I'm thinking if I'm him and God visits me, I don't know who he is. I have my own idols over here. Am I gonna go to, am I gonna move east and follow this God? He exhibited great faith at times, and yet he was the biggest wuss sometimes. He put his wife in front when they came to Laban with his brother. He didn't trust God. He laughed at God with his wife. This is, this, these are stories of great faith and completely weak and almost abandoned faith in the people. Think about your life. Think about your family tree. And then it's interesting. There's some interesting things about this genealogy. It mentions Gentiles, non-Jews, which would have, if you're a first century reader, you would have noticed that. But it also mentions women. And in that day, don't take offense at this, but in that day in first century, you didn't see in genealogies, which were important, women mentioned because the seed came through the man. And yet there are five women mentioned in this, te- in this genealogy. Now, I can't do this because we have mixed company with little kids in here, but I want you to think about the story of Tamar. I want you to think about the story of Rahab. I want you to think about the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. This is Jesus, the line that Jesus came from that the Jews would know about. This is interesting. Jesus' line needed him. They needed a savior, just like your story is, and your family's story is, and your wife's family story is, and your husband's family story is. They're in need of a savior. And guess what? Even Mary is in need of a savior. This is what she said. She said she was in need of a savior. Think about that, moms. Think about having to raise Jesus, this perfect child, and you're anxious, and you're at the temple, and Jesus is like, hey, I'm at my father's house. How would that be like? He really is our savior. And the surface point that sometimes we make, we don't get to the deeper real point that truly this does show that God is not sexist. He is not racist. He includes all kinds of people here in the lineage of Jesus, both Jew and Greek and male and female. People of upright standing and noble standing and lowly standing. People who have sinned less and sinned more. Think about Jacob. His name means deceiver. (laughs) But the real point is this family tree is filled with sinners like you and me. There's no exceptions. 
And it demonstrates that no human contributed to the deity of Christ. It's reason for the virgin birth that it couldn't come through the seed of man. But here's something interesting. Why did Jesus come? Did he just come to be a creator? I want you, I want you to know that there are strands of liberal Christianity that think that Jesus is divine, but what he did on the cross is just an example. There's also people all around us that would probably fit into a category of being deist who acknowledge that, that there's a God, but that God is removed. He's not one of us. He didn't become one of us. So I think we needed a creator, a, someone divine, but we needed more than that, didn't we? I mean, what's your greatest need? It's more than just a creator. That's important. And guess what? It's more than Jesus just being a brother. Every secular humanist or person who doesn't believe, what do they want to do with Jesus? The people that you know, what do they want to do with Jesus and the claims that Jesus make and the claims that we share with people about Jesus? They want to make him a human, right? They want to make him human. They don't want him to be divine. People all around us are okay with Jesus being a prophet. They're not okay with him being more than that. So ultimately, it's important that Jesus was human. It's important that Jesus was divine and he was a, a creator. You think about a king. Kingdoms come and go. People overthrow kingdoms all the time. If he was just a king, that wouldn't be enough. If he was just a creator, that wouldn't be enough. If he was just a man, that wouldn't be enough. He's a savior. That's your greatest need. That's my greatest need. And this is what Matthew says. Look at verse 21. I think it's up here. Jesus came for this purpose, not just to be creator, not just to be king, not just to be your brother, and she will bear a son, and she, he will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's your greatest need. That's my greatest need. He's a savior. That's the game changer. In all these descriptions of Jesus, that he's our savior. One guy said it this way. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent an inventor or a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. We find new life in his life. That's the beauty of it. We need a savior. Jesus' line needed a savior. All the people from before in the Old Testament needed a savior. You and I need a savior. You're in the Christmas story because Jesus came for sinners. That's your family history. That was his. That's where Jesus' story intersects yours this Christmas we're in need of a savior. Remember, he came as a physician to do what? To seek and save the lost. So what's your story? Where are you from? What does your family look like? You know what? Like mine, it's broken. Yours is broken. Yours is dark. It had their family secrets, just like Jesus' family line. But what's your story? Speaking of darkness, back in the 16th century, um, in the medieval times in the 16th century, the, the gospel, the, the flame of the gospel, there wasn't much of a flame of the gospel. People had turned to all kinds of religious practices. And in the city of Geneva, 
um, revival broke out in Geneva. And God, through his spirit, began to save people. There were people like Calvin and people around him that were sharing the true gospel. And people were coming to know Christ. And the light was breaking through the darkness. And they had a need to mint new coins in Geneva. And so they began to consider all the phrases or thoughts that they could squeeze onto the new coins of the city and of this place. And they came up with this, post-Tenebras Lux. After darkness, light. After darkness, light. See, that's what the gospel does, is it brings light into a dark place. And in Bethlehem, a few thousand years ago, Light came to a dark place, and it still shines bright. The gospel is the good news that Christ has come into the world and died on a cross for your sins and my sins, that Jesus brings light. And if you don't know that message this morning, that's what Christmas is about, that Jesus broke in with light, and you can receive that and know that light. And if you do know Christ, maybe there's some dark things and some shadows that you need to come back and say, I need the light. I would encourage you to consider that today. Your takeaway is this, that Jesus brings light and hope for your world. That Jesus brings light and hope for your world. Trust him. Trust him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for an opportunity to come to your word. We thank you for the last three weeks we've been able to see the coming of the Son who was given, the coming of Christ who will save his people from their sins. We thank you that Christmas is not just the story of a creator, a brother, a king, but it's a story of a savior that we need. It's our greatest need, but apart from you working in our lives, we are in a desperate place, we're in a dark place but because of the gospel, the good news of Christ, that we can know you through your son. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts um, today as we consider the light of the world. In his name we pray.